I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Wednesday Night War Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review the Wednesday Night War, and if you want to know our thoughts on NXT, that is available as a podcast right now. We also review Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. But as I said, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite, the winter is coming fallout episode of AEW Dynamite. And, well, a lot to get through today, Sidge. Yeah, absolutely. There were some moments on the show that really didn't do it for me. Ones that they were depending on doing something for people as well. Um like, for example, I did not expect Dustin Rhodes versus 10 to be a classic, but that's by the by, it's building something. Sneaky bastards. The Shaq thing. Jesus Christ, that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. So, from a strategic level, this show was designed to maintain the sheer buzz from last week. And I don't think I feel the same as I did after last week's episode. Um, but there were still some really, really strong bits that I thought were genuinely awesome bits of television. So more uneven than I expected, really. It was buzz. That was the exact word that I was thinking of. I was expecting like just the maintenance of the buzz. Um, AEW, like, I, didn't, I didn't think this was like a terrible episode of a wrestling show or anything, but it was probably just a good one from my perspective. And AEW started this week in a real like position of influence Um in terms of our bubble of wrestling fans, at least. And then it continued that with the impact numbers across Twitch and across everything else that we've read so far about AW and Kenny Omega's influence on impact. And I guess I expected something similar feeling on their own show. And I'm not sure that it approached any of that. I don't think it approached any of the feelings that we had over the weekend about the anticipation for impact um, about the anticipation that they allowed to build for this dynamite by stacking this card so much. I'm, not, I'm just not quite sure it hit in the ways that you would typically expect from them. Yeah, amazing to see those numbers from Impact Wrestling. It's almost as if Kenny Omega's a draw on US TV. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. But uh, I, I think the thing for me with this show is a lot of it didn't go the way I was expecting, but I wasn't annoyed with that. And we'll get into it. We'll get into it in due course. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, a mad match, a great match to start the show off with. Uh, the Young Bucks versus the Hybrid 2. Literally, what I've just mentioned, things not going the way I'd expected. I think everyone, even you know, even Michael Sidgwick, would go into this and say, "Well, obviously, Hybrid Two win because this is a match to build another match for a title shot." No, no, that's not the case. Young Bucks just went, "Oh, you know, we're mint. Yeah, we'll just do that." So, as we sort of predicted, uh, lots of mad high flying stuff on there. Particularly enjoyed uh, Jack Evans getting power bombed onto the acclaimed. That'll teach you for rapping about dicks and stuff um 
Evans took a beating in this. He got hit with a doomsday device on the ramp. Uh, and Helico then got hit with stereo super kicks for a decent near fall. Uh, and Helico responded later on by uh, getting the Navarro death roll on uh, Matt Jackson for a, a tease submission. Um, in the end, we had Evans stopping a Meltzer driver to which the Unbooks responded by going, all right, we'll just Meltzer driver you on the outside. Mad. Uh, near fall from Angelico, who cradled Matt Jackson off the back of that. But then, of course, Books super kick him, uh, BTE trigger, one, two, three. Post match acclaim, try and run down and attack the Books, but SCU run down to break it up. Not the way we expected, as I said, Sige, but still very entertaining. Books match was great, like really, really great. And again, I didn't get quite the fantasy booking idea that I pitched, but I still will get to it later. But the contrast between the Bucks and Hybrid 2 working this total cocaine banger and then FTR, in contrast, just doing some very awesome, ghoulish 80s, 90s things to Brian Pillman Jr., the likes of which I thought were gone in wrestling, <laughs> but they're back, baby. Yes, like I got a sadistic goddamn thrill out of that match, even if it was nowhere near as good by design as this one. It wasn't as narratively rich as your New Japan AEW pay-per-view epic to the Young Bucks, but it didn't need to be. It was a TV opener. Like Some of the stuff in it was absolutely incredible. And I think that it was so well done and put together. I'm going to put over one spot in particular that illustrated that it wasn't just this empty, flexing aerial exhibition. There's this insane spot where Nick Jackson was on the outside and Helico had Matt Jackson on his shoulders and um, Jack Evans was going to um, do a moonsault off mm. Matt Jackson's back and onto him. If you notice, he tagged in before he did it, completely floored Nick Jackson on the outside, and then used that to transition into an offensive phase. Like, it wasn't just doing it to do it. Like It made sense in the uh, context of the match. Jack Evans was absolutely on fire. Yeah. And I loved how they were profiling him so heavily in a match finish paid off just how well he'd done. It's like, right, well, we kind of have to kill him to put him away. He's just blown us out with this bloody match. And they killed him with an outside Melter driver. I thought it was great. Really, really great. I really appreciated him being murdered by that Melter driver. It felt like a necessary mm. thing to do. It wasn't just a waste of a of a gruesome high spot. Um, I've got to be honest, I'm not as high on this. Um, I assume this was going to be one of the things that Sidric was slightly disappointed by that he mentioned in the intro. Um, it was good. My favourite thing about it was the seat was the FTR match. Do you know what I mean? Like I, that, the contrast between the two was my favourite thing about this. Um, rare for the young books. Like we say sometimes on these podcasts because we're reviewing TV shows that like matches go too long. Um, when I say this went too long, I think this is a rare miss for the young books in that I think it passed its peak, and the young books almost never do that. Like they're masters of construction of these types of matches, of which you know it is no mean feat to put one of these together. And I think it missed its peak by a couple of minutes. Um, I felt over it, with the exception of that tombstone on the floor. I kind of felt over it by the end. Um, I think this could have done with a bit less. And I didn't ever get the impression, as much as within the body of the match, they were putting the hybrid two over as, not equals, but somebody on that could be on the Young Bucks level. I never, never really got away from the fact that these are ultimately just geeks that the Young Bucks were dealing with. And I think you could have spent less time on that. Um, so it didn't really hit for me as much, but I loved it more once it's in the FTR match. I love the booking of that to begin with. I like the idea that they get, these two are going to be kept as contrasts, and I liked it more. I liked it more as a result. I just think they could have told that story in less than the time that they were allotted. I'll say this. It was a great opener for me, and just what I needed at that time in the morning of like, I'm up, I'm watching Dynamite, I'm awake. <laughs> like that was, that was me rolling, uh, and that cut straight into a promo from MJF. I have an apology to make a little bit later on, but I'll get to that. Um, calling Orange Cassidy an embarrassment and saying he bashes brains in tonight. Uh, and then we had one of Darby Allen's uh, little vignettes, which are always great. Um, Ricky Starks managing to look sexy as an ink blot. Weird that. I don't know what's <laughs> going on there. Uh, and he was asked what he saw in each of them. And he saw Brian Cage and then one contender for the TNT Championship. And then when they showed one, which was just Sting's face, basically, Darby Allen laughed. And speaking of Sting, he was next. Uh, well, Cody came out. Uh, with uh, Tony Schiavone, and uh, then out came Sting. First of all, before I get into any anything that happened, Sige, love the fact that they've kept the snow for the entrance. 
I didn't think I was going to like any of this as it was unfolding in front of me because I thought, right, you can't really keep doing this because at some point it's going to be summer. Yeah. And Sting, which you'll get to in the recap, I'll thingy, I'll hand over to you to do that, did not do what I wanted him to do in the preview and yet I thought was magnificent anyway. They'll have to be careful. As I said, they cannot do this every single week. It will look maybe hokey the more they do it and they might have to get creative in a way that the idea is to present Sting as if he's ageless. And they've done a remarkable job of that. It might get a bit obvious, but for me, it didn't just quite yet last night. Uh, yeah, he, he enters on Anderson, says his goodbyes and leaves him to it. And Tony Schiavone goes to leave. And I love this. It just really humanized Sting. Just going, where you think you're going? Come here. Give me a cuddle. Uh, and he got him to do the, it's Sting! Uh, which, which normally I, I find that sort of quite cringy. Do the thing, but it's, I can't, I can't hate. It's impossible for me to hate Tony Schiavone. So him doing a nice little call back there was lovely. Uh, and then there's the moment with Cody and Sting in the ring together. Cody says he's been waiting to share a ring with him for a long time. And Sting says, look, I'm not here for you. But he said something in this place does feel familiar. Very familiar. Gesticulating at Darby Allen. Uh, he said things have come full circle. He's back on TNT once again. He said he plans on staying with AEW for a long time. And there's only one thing that is predictable with the Stinger, and that is nothing. Nothing is predictable with Sting. And he told Cody he'd see him around, and he walked off. Hamblet, what do you think of this? Um, I loved them bringing back. Uh, the only thing for sure is that nothing is for sure. It was my favourite element of the original, like sort of incarnation of the Crow. Um, made so much, like so much more excitement of every Sting appearance that he'd said that from the very beginning. So I love the use of that. Because um, it's very WCW, and in the way that WWE didn't want to touch all that, AEW can luxuriate in it, as we're getting with Tony Schiavone, and as we're getting with, obviously, Cody's adoration for that era. Uh, I thought this was all right. Um, I was, we talked about this in the preview yesterday, I was probably wanting a bit more exposition. Cedric was probably right that we didn't get it. There's absolutely no problem teasing out a little bit more. But, I don't know. I think they wanted Sting to be mysterious, but he looked like he was enjoying himself so much. <laughs> that he was, like, a little bit too... I know. What's the word I'm after? Evuncular, to Ooh. be mysterious. He was just having a really, really good time. And uh, it didn't it didn't quite... Like, one thing didn't mesh with the other. I no, got I, I got a lot of warmth from it. I got a lot of warmth from seeing mm. Sting having the best time. And Cody, clearly, loving life and trying to suppress those little internal pops of, like, young Cody running around backstage at WCW. Like, I, all the subtext was great. But I thought they were trying to do two things, and, and they couldn't. Sting's performance didn't sort of like, it betrayed the mystery element of it. No, I completely agree. I loved, like we talked about at length last week, I loved how immaculate he lent his presence to that spectacle and that segment last week. I loved in isolation how much I loved Sting, if that makes any mm. sense, last night. But I feel like, and they can probably get it back, there was an element of the mystique gone. Ultimately, I didn't mind him palling up with Shivani. But I didn't need him to chant along with the This Is Awesome chant. Yeah. I did not need that at all from Sting in this segment. One thing I loved about it, and it's just, again, and I'm not subtweeting you here, Hamlet, but the reason why Cody Rhodes isn't Jeff Jarrett and he isn't Triple H <laughs> is that he completely put himself up to look like a tit with the mm. ultimate ambition, much like all of this is ultimately geared towards getting Darby Allen over. He had this in his own mind idea of, yep, finally the new icon in the old, the uh, <laughs> fan is becoming the peer and we're going to share in this moment. And Sting was just like, ah, not really, I don't see that much in you. I've seen, yeah, it's him I'm interested. It's, uh, it's Kurt the, Jason Jordan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the bit like from the, the, the high school movie where someone waves at someone in the corridor, Cody <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. and I'm waving at, I'm waving at Darby, <laughs> and I'm like, sorry. <laughs> That's fantastic stuff because it does deepen the mystery. And the, the handful of points out perfectly, they needed that line, I think, to try and remind you, oh, right, that's what he's here for, to keep you on the hook for several weeks to know what the hell he's talking about, <laughs> rather than like him clearly being the best baby face. That's the thing, like, he radiated, like, oh, I'm watching a superstar here and it's not fantastic. But again, maybe a little bit too avuncular. Perfect word. Uh, only issue with it was 
the lack of a guard bird. But we got time for that. Um, Team Taz were backstage ripping the piss out of the Sting segment. Ricky Starks, I love you. Uh, and they pointed out, of course, that Taz's son, the best name ever, Hook. Why has everyone got such a better name than me? I did a, I, I did a, uh, I did a list yesterday, and the poker written it. It's called Rex. It's so bloody cool. Adam. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Mum and Dad. Anyway, I've got a topic here. Um, they've let well, got, got you in the door at what culture, you know. Yeah, granted. Uh, <laughs> uh, they pointed out that Hook has left Cody's tutelage. He's joined Team Taz. And yeah, um, Brian Cage just sort of gave a little nod to the fact he's going to kill Darby Allen, Sige. Yeah. I mean, it ties in nicely enough. Wasn't the best Team Taz thing I've ever seen. And I've seen some awesome ones recently. Nice enough. Necessary enough. Uh, and then we got the FTR match, in fact, uh, against the Varsity Bonds. Who the Griff Garrison and uh, Brian Pillman Jr. And like you said, Hamlet, uh, polar opposite of what we saw in the opener. Uh, Brian Pillman took some some bad stuff in here in a good way. Um, got hit with a brain buster and the Goodnight Express for the victory. But it was, yeah, it was just FTR showing, yeah, we really didn't need to do any high-flying stuff because we can just beat you with all the usual stuff from the 80s, Hamlet. God, I love this. I felt, like, the anger coming through. F like, you know, at the start when they entered, and, I, like, I thought this was good acting from FTR, good wrestling acting, at least, where they looked a bit despondent still, that they were without the belts, that they were entering into a, what was, to them, an exhibition tag when they should be doing important things with this tag division. And then it was like they got all of that frustration out on poor Brian Pillman Jr. Oh. The way that, like, you know, we know that they've got these expert double teams and their fantastic cutoffs and the, the ways in which they cheat creatively, even, but just their cruelty, like ripping it at Brian Pillman's face, like just a week, just a week in his nose and mouth a little bit before you drop that, like the elbow from the demolition move on him, stuff like that. They were just mean, they were mean and cruel. And, you know, it's always, it's always that NXT run that you go back to with the revival to, to think about the peak. They had their great moments, of course, in WWE, but they were few and far between compared to that. And I think the cruelty was almost an underrated element because in DIY, it was all like, oh, these are equals. But in what got the revival over, it was against Enzo and Cass and American Alpha. And they had to be nasty bastards as well as being like just these like tag team experts. And that's what I got out of this. And again, it was, it was shorter, which it had to be. They were meaner. I, I love this. I love it. And it got like, got Brian Pillman Jr. over yeah. brilliantly as well. Like what a showcase, like jobber squash for Brian Pillman Jr. Griff Garrison, purpose serving, but this achieved so much more than it potentially could have done because it, it, you know, could have earnestly only had one story, which was just a reheat FTR and it worked wonders for Brian Pillman Jr. as well. Commentary, I want to give credit to Jim Ross as well. Like Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, particularly here. Um, of course, you're going to make obvious comparisons to Brian Pillman, but I thought they never did it in the way that felt overbearing. I thought it was all, it was mostly at the start. It was like, oh, we liked his dad, but he was a little bit crazy. Um, can his son be the more polished version? He's actually a little bit taller. You know, all the sort of little reference to the point. Tremendous presentation of him and just superb stuff from FDR. Yeah, this is awesome. In a three-star way, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it, was, it was a TV match designed to drive storylines. Griff Garrison's got such a peculiar way of moving, and yet I find it really endearing, and I find it really convincing as well. I got more out of him than I think I did Brian Pillman Jr. And again, his dad is Brian Pillman. <laughs> <laughs> like his dad is one of the most innovative, creative, and in terms of like 90s in-ring, early 90s in-ring, certainly like one of the best in the United States. So it sucks that, you know, you're always going to think, right, okay, well, what's Brian Pillman's kid got? He's called Brian Pillman. Um, Griff Garrison's got this kind of movement that I don't know how to find endearing. I like Griff Garrison an awful lot. Presents himself like a really nice lad who can actually do some damage. Um, honestly, two different wrestling fans. I did think this maybe went two minutes too long. Uh, speaking of awesome, Hangman Page was being interviewed, obviously, at the bar by Alex Marvez. He was scheduled against uh, Matt Hardy and Private Party for next week's Dynamite. But he doesn't have any, any friends, any tag partners. But then who should bob up from behind the bar wearing bloody cat like kids' cowboy hats from a, like, 10 quid Smith's Toy Store cowboy outfit thing? Yeah. John Silver and Alex Reynolds. Page goes, 
I'm not teaming with you two. I'm not joining the dark order. Look at the state of you. And Alex Reynolds just went, well, who else? If not us, who else? And he went, oh, go on then. One time thing. Let's do it. I, I, I just popped me big, Sige. I can't tell you how much I adored all of this, right? Not as just like a critic analyzing the various booking maneuvers to arrive at it, because that deft is all hell battle royal last week got doubly, triply deft on this program in terms of how it's this big bang is sprawling out and creating all of this new universe of pro wrestling storytelling. As a fan who's really relates to Hangman Page, I have my own anxieties. He smiled here. And it's probably the first time I've seen him like smile in forever, which earnestly and genuinely was nice to see. But not only that, right? The thing about the Dark Order is that even if it's a completely rehabilitated act, that obviously it's missing Mr. Brody Lee, and goddamn, I'm kind of worried where he is at this point. Even when it was at its height over the late summer with Mr. Brody Lee, it's still kind of flawed in a way. Like, they still look a bit goofy. It's still very mid-card, and Brody Lee did very well to transcend that. They talk about strength in numbers. They very rarely use it, or they don't use it enough for me. And there's still the fact that they're called the Dark Order. So if you're going to join them, you kind of mm-hmm. know, and, or you should know, that's oh, an evil organization, this. <laughs> I can't think of a better timing to do this particular thread of the Hangman Page journey because you do, everyone pops at John Silver. He's this incredibly endearing little dickhead who's really, really funny. So you can completely see why Hangman Page would, would want to join this version of the act at this time because it's impossible not to get charmed by John Silver like the wrestling world has. I, I can actually buy it as well as being this really well-crafted thing. I, I just really liked that they drew on. Um, yeah, if not if not us, who else, who else are you going to get? Like, they are acknowledging that they are a rock-bottom solution for it. <laughs> they're not even, like, sort of sloppy seconds, but they'll, like, they'll do because there's nobody else there, um, which sort of suits where they're at because I think you're right, Cedric. I think they're, they don't feel important. They don't feel like they're, like, they haven't, like, when Broadly beat Cody, the landscape felt like it was shifting. And it hasn't really. Like the Dark Order don't really hold any power anymore over AEW. Um, but they hold power over Page in realizing how lonely he is and how like he's stuck <laughs> otherwise. Um, yeah, that's sort of like, yeah, that, that, they're even shrugging and they're he might as well. And he's like, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, fine, like, really, really like that detail. <laughs> to the last branch you grab before you hit the ground as you fall out of the trees. Hey! <laughs> um, <laughs> I was agape at what happened next because I was a bit like, cool, Dustin Rhodes versus 10. All right. Match was good. Uh, particularly enjoyed Dustin Rhodes biting 10's face. All right, mate, chill out. Uh, he gets a running bulldog out of nowhere, but I want to, don't really want to talk about the match too much. I want to talk about the thing that's been staring us in the face for a year. None of us have picked up on. And then from, he- from outside a window. Yeah, offered Dustin Rhodes to join the Dark Order because Seven is free. You can become Seven in the Dark Order. Dustin Rhodes teases doing the Dark Order, pose with the hands, slaps Uno. They all go to jump him. Uno tells him not to bother. And he says, eventually, Dustin will come begging for a spot because he's, you know, the third most important road, which I thought was a nice little thing. But yeah, Sid, you sort of summed this up perfectly on social media this morning. Indeed, right. So, Evil Uno's one, I think Grayson's two. Um, Reynolds and Silver are three and four. Across the taping cycle... At QT Marshall's gym, where they did like six weeks of telly in one day, they introduced further members of the Dark Order. I think two of which haven't really been seen again, eight and nine, because they were just QT Marshall students, right? But even so, it doesn't really matter that they aren't on the scene anymore. So there's one, two, three, four. Then there was that 10 guy. There's five Alan Angels who had the match with Omega. 
unbelievably somehow controversial match with Kenny Omega. They've never had a six and a seven. And it's not as if the call, the jobbers, we've never seen again, six and seven, and they're just not there. They were eight and nine. They weirdly skipped seven. I know they can count, right? (laughs) And I know they can book very well these ridiculously meticulous bits of minutiae. This might be a total retry. I don't necessarily think they skipped over seven all this time to do a TV angle 18 months later or whatever. But even if they haven't done that, the working backwards, I still found it such a beautiful, phenomenal detail. So much so that it completely cloaks a big flaw in this. Dustin Rhodes won the match. Why would he feel like a loser? Why would he get preyed upon by the Dark Order? And two, he banted off seven more quickly than the squash match to begin with. (laughs) And he did slap them in the face, to be fair. And there's two things I loved about this. The 70 is tremendous. It's tremendous. I don't know how tremendous it is, but I know it's base level tremendous. And two, I was hooked when Eve Luno said, we will get you begging to do this. And I'm thinking, how? So that's very interesting to me. Quite interesting. Sorry, did you say they'd missed six as well? So they're going to tease that when they bring X-Pac. in the X-Pac. Oh my X-Pac. God, Sean Walton's coming in. Can you imagine X-Pac and Dustin in the same tag team? Oh my God. That's <laughs> oh my God. My little finger just touched it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's tremendous, isn't it? How did how as, as Cedric says, either like you could ask yourself, how did we not see this? But maybe they didn't see it, and just fabulous that they went back and spotted it, or crazy if they left that in just in Why case. I would have missed seven at the time. It's of all the people, you know, Dustin Rhodes is in. You know, you couldn't say if you relied on a guy like a Matt Cardona, and then it turns out that he leaves, and you're like, ah, oh, right. We need to come up with a new reason why we skip those numbers. Dustin Rhodes is always going to be there, isn't he? So there are certainly, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's great. It's great if that was by design. Um, Echo Sidgwick's point, I was didn't really feel the logic of any of this other than the kind of the actual veiled threat that came afterwards. That felt like the story, didn't it? More than the gag and even the match, which was otherwise pretty irrelevant. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Right, let's get to this Shaquille O'Neal interview, uh, a sit down with uh, Tony Schiavone, Shaquille O'Neal and Brandy Rhodes, who had an arm in a sling, of course, because of the Jade Cargill attack. Um, Shaq talked about uh, Jade Cargill. He said he respects her. He didn't appreciate what she did to Brandy's arm. 
Brandy says she wants this resolved. And Shaq says, look, I was only joking around with Cody on Twitter, but I'm really excited and intrigued to see what happens when you fight Jade Cargill. And then it seems to be all sort of relatively smoothed over. But then as Brandy goes to leave, Shaq says, oh, while you're injured, why worth watching Jade? Maybe you can learn a few things. And Brandy turns back and hoys the water in Shaq's face, who sells it quite brilliantly uh, with a, a, a screenshot that I've seen shared around quite a lot reflecting well 2020 to be perfectly honest um what did you think i mean we didn't really know what to expect when it was shack on on aw dynamite hamlet what did you think of the way that what they did with this and where things are going i know what i think because i know what i felt and i just didn't like it like wwe don't own wrestling uh nor do they own bringing celebrities into wrestling but there is an art to making it not lame and this was just a bit lame. Mike Tyson earlier this year was a little bit lame. It's given me concerns, despite how piss funny he was on commentary for that recent exhibition Tyson fight, how good Snoop Dogg's going to be in a few weeks, you know? Like, it's it's hard. It's hard to make these spots and these moments and these interactions not feel a little bit lame. And this just didn't... Like, and Brandy, right? And she gets pelters for a lot of reasons, some of them very, very justified. But, you know... And, you know, especially, I've got to shout out to Sidgwick this because he's never let go of this one, and rightfully so. That Raw 2 promo that she cut for the... Remind me, Sidgwick, which match? The Spears match. The Spears match um, is good enough that you can... Like, she could go years and not cut a promo as good as that. and be like, yeah, but you know she's got it in her. You know she gets this. Like, that was that good. Um, and the Jade Cargill confrontation, to be fair. Yeah, uh, elements of that, I don't know. I don't know if that, like, I, I, I'm not so sure about that one as much. But um, I, just, I just didn't feel it. Did not, like, I didn't get the energy. Like, again, a celebrity should bring energy. There should be, maybe danger maybe isn't the right word, but they're an outsider. So they should bring with them the qualities of that. And I just didn't get it out of this. Shaq's, yep. Shaq's like, like, massive. I don't mean just literally massive. Of course <laughs> he is. But, like, he's this huge deal. Like, I'm not undermining, like, the level of name value they've got in Shaq. But even that didn't really come across. Yeah, just t- totally fell flat. Totally fell flat. Everything I know of Shaq, and it's pretty minimal, is that he's this affable, charismatic presence. Got none of that. Didn't translate to my TV screen whatsoever. Couldn't really hear what he was saying. Then again, I have it on frigging level six on the volume. <laughs> with the kids up. Just 20 <laughs> Just the 20 to 6 this morning. That's why I get it with three. If I try and do it any later, he's going to come down in the main event. Um, it's weird. He didn't pull off being the heel well. He didn't feel larger than life, much less large. He was sat down. I did like the, the side gag of Tony Schiavone being so tiny. I think <laughs> the blocked the blocked a poor segment quite well. I just don't know where this is going. And after this, I don't really care. Like, another thing. Watch Jade Cargill. You might learn something. Where? She's not even on dog. Like, I understand they are presenting her as a big deal. And I think they want to do the Brandy match first. Which is a good idea. Because it's a total deviation from doing, like, a squash. And you might get it. But regardless, the point remains. I haven't seen her. Can't watch her. She's not on the telly. Um, So either that was an indictment of what they do with the women or they're waiting to do something with that woman who they see as a prospect. Either way, it made no sense. I just tickled myself there, picturing, <laughs> picturing you and the kids when the kids were a little bit younger. Say, say your first word, go on. D- d- go on, say, say dad. <laughs> not going to say dad, are they? They're going to say the other word that I'm not allowed to. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the inner circle ultimatum. Uh, big things on the line here. Could see the end of the inner circle. Uh, they all come out. Uh, Chris Jericho says this could be the last night for the inner circle. Everyone's acting like petulant punks. Uh, he talked about how Hager doesn't like Wardlow, how MJF isn't liked by Sammy Guevara. Santana wasn't there, I should point out, and believed personal reasons. So we're not going to talk anything about that. Um, MJF holds his hands up. He says, I, You know what? I think. I might be the issue here because for some reason, people seem to think I want to break up or take over the inner circle. Um, he starts to sort of patronize Guevara says, Oh, look, Sammy, no one blames you. And then um, Jericho just jumps in and goes, we all watched dynamite. We all saw what happened. 
uh, MJF tries to explain that I had some sweat on my brow. <laughs> no, no one's buying it. Uh, Ortiz jumps in. Uh, he's very sort of diplomatic. He doesn't like them or didn't like them, I should say, but he can respect that MJF and, and Wardlow are, are talents. Just can't really accept that they are good as human beings. Uh, I think he described MJF as growing on him like a fungus or something like that. And he says, look, Sammy, shake MJF's hand because together we're better. Look, he's better than MJF and he knows it. Shake his hand, etc. Nice little touch to that. Uh, Sammy says he trusts Jericho with everything. He will shake MJF's hand, but if one more thing happens, he is going to quit the inner circle. They shake hands. Jericho goes, right, job done. Hager goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Why does this bloke keep staring at me? Wardlow's like, you're the one staring, dickhead, basically. It's, 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 it goes that way. Jericho agreed. I love this. Jericho agreed there'd be no more staring in the inner circle. Um. And he goes, right, okay, everyone's happy. MJF goes, oh, by the way, I'm going to kick uh, Orange Cassidy's ass again. Jericho says, it's not about this right now. Do the pose. And instead of like all hands in or a big, you know, handshaking segment, it's all them posing with their middle fingers. Thank goodness, Sidge. Not the end of the inner circle yet. Back on board with this. I thought the segment was great. I loved how they've timed it so that MJF goes to the last two of the Battle Royal. Wardlow goes to the last three. Ortiz, who's joined this to be a ruthless winner, senses that there's a winner amongst their ranks and decides then, only after MJF wins again, right, okay, we've got something in here, even if I personally don't like him very much. The goddamn goal on MGF when Chris Jericho was right there to say, I'm going to do something that, you know, I beat you twice, but I'm going to beat him. Like, he's <laughs> right there. Chris Jericho selling that was great. He knows what he's got if he can control him. And Jake Hager's comedic timing, I thought, was unbelievable. Yeah. Fabulous. He's done He's done this before. He's done this before, and God damn it, he's done it again. Like, I just want to single out Jake Hager for praise, right? Because he's the guy who is way more like Jack Swagger than anyone wanted to think when they presented him as this new, more shredded version early. He's completely laboured through too many boring singles matches to count. He's also in that tag team, or at least really, really effective in an underrated act. His comedic timing here was unbelievable. I don't know why it popped me as much as it did. I think it's because he's so thick, right, that he's just got one thought running through his head the whole time. He can only concentrate on one thing. He's looking at me. He's looking at me. And he's had this running through his head for a month. Then he just decides to express the one thing he's capable of thinking. He's always staring at me. Just loved it. I enjoyed your recap, Wilborn, and your analysis, Cedric, more than I enjoyed watching the segment. I've got to be honest, I got way more out of you two than I did this. This felt like, and like, remember when we could all still see each other regularly? And then every now and then you'd show people, like, not over like Slack or over WhatsApp or whatever, but you'd show people a video that you pissed yourself at and it's, you're getting more and more nervous because they haven't laughed yet. And it's like, oh, this isn't going down as well as I wanted. I felt like that was the inner circle showing me something. And I was like, waiting to laugh, waiting to laugh, waiting to laugh. And I just didn't, just felt like it dragged. Um, but I completely take on board some of the, the, the details that you've noted, Cedric, and Wilborn, you made the lines funnier. I, I don't like this. I'm, I'm, I'm going off it. Like, that's, I'm, I'm getting that feeling like it's Chris Jericho, man, and MJF as well, for that matter. And they're coming out, and I'm just thinking, oh, right. Like, I, I really want, I don't know, I want the vibe back. And I, I just, just not, it just didn't work for me, this. Um, but I take those points more on board because um, I, I agree with you on J.K. Hager and Wardlow. That was the, was the sort of the crown jewel of this whole thing for me. Um, I wonder as well, maybe I was low on this match, but I, I, got the, I got the details of the MJF Chris Jericho match, but I wasn't so entertained that I wanted it again. And I'm wondering if the prospect of that sequel not being that thrilling to me is maybe putting off the inevitable payoff of it, of it happening. I don't know. I just have to step that up. Yeah. They'll have to step it up and do some bells, whistles, smokes and mirrors. I agree with that point. I I think it's going in the right direction again. I think uh, we all got a bit concerned with all the the mad, wacky vignettes that that seem to drag on a little bit, if I'm perfectly honest. But we'll we'll get to it in due course. But I think that they're they're heading back in the right direction. And I enjoyed this, what it was. Um, 
and just I think it's inevitable. We all know where it's going, but I I like the fact that it's it's been delayed and it, everything seems to be okay. Um, we had FTR. I forgot to mention, by the way, earlier on, uh, FTR confronted or had a little moment with Jurassic Express uh, after they won their match. Uh, they're backstage uh, alongside Tony Blanchard getting interviewed by Marvez. Tully takes the blame for them losing at full gear because they're a team and he wasn't there. It takes the piss out of Jungle Boy for climbing the ropes in a battle royal. And they describe themselves as the best tag team in the world and uh, fear the re- revelation. Uh, you, you again, I'm sort of just going to defer to you on this one, Sige, because you talked about this as well on social media, that it's one of those things that immediately after the match, you're like, oh, okay, FTR versus Jurassic Express. But this sold me on it. Sold me on it that little bit more. Just a nice little detail that I always appreciate because they do this thing quite often. And it's good. They've sensed opportunity from crisis. We can build storylines with these wrestlers on the outside. In fact, it's kind of weird if we didn't because it would feel like they're too much like wrestlers, but they've done it an awful lot. And I just saw the confrontation. I went, yeah, I saw that match and it was good. Like a month and a half ago, FTR versus Jurassic Express. So, all right, they're doing that again with a kind of minimal setup, right? Whatever, that'll be a nice 10 minutes on Dynamite. But just a little detail of them laughing at the idea of Jungle Boy climbing to the top rope on a bottle, in a battle royal, just underscored their characters, give you an additional reason as to why they would want this match again. And it just, again, it's another cause and effect of why I like this booking so much. A character's done something, another character's laughing at, like derisively, and there's a conflict there. Cause, effect, believable conflict. I'm happy enough with that. The Tully Blanchard thing sent me off on a bit of a fantasy booking spiral. You know how he's taken the blame for them losing the tag belts, basically. Um, because he wasn't you know, there for them. Um, it made me think that because now that Kenny's in shades and coming out of helicopters, we're all allowed to think that he's potentially the leader of this horseman group. Um, it's all you can see, isn't it? You know, it's elements of the Ric Flair stuff, that he's, the aesthetic that he's borrowing. Um, and obviously Tully and Sean Spears have got this goddamn glove. It's all you see all the time. But really, Kenny's going to screw the books and give the belts back to FTR with the invisible hand rather than that black glove because they've lent on that nickname as well of Callis being the invisible hand. Stuff happens without any of us noticing. They're making history while everybody else is busy making moments. Um, and that sent me in that direction. And it might be, just might be a bum stay, might be my own fantasy booking. But again, um, Tully wasn't there. It was destined to matter that he wasn't there. And now they're going to talk about it. And now they might use it. And I, I love that. Uh, we got Lance Archer, uh, Penta, and Ray Phoenix versus King- Eddie Kingston, Butcher, and Blade next. Uh, Penta, apparently, uh, early on this week, suffered an injury in training, so he was kind of taken out of the match early on. Butcher putting him through a table. Obviously, we wish him well in his recovery. Hopefully, we'll see him back soon. So it was a sort of two-on-three, which I thought kind of helped the match, uh, if anything, because it just let them be gits, and that's exactly what they did, including that Jezebel. Stop calling her that. Uh, attacking oh, evil, he <laughs> called her evil. Such a normally stupid old. He's been great, Jim Ross. You know, he's been great for the past three or four weeks. He never deserves to not get criticized for this. Mm, exactly. Uh, she uh, attacked Phoenix whilst Blade was distracting the official. Um, oh, god, I nearly had a heart attack when Rain Phoenix. We did a dive to the outside on Kingston. Um, looked horrible that for a split second. In the end, uh, Butcher and Blade hit their powerbomb neckbreaker combo thing for the victory. Post-match, Archer comes in and attacks uh, Kingston, Butcher and Blade. Goes to hit the black- blackout on Blade, but uh, Butcher helps him escape. Uh, Andy sort of justified all this to me now because I suppose you've got Phoenix, Pack, and Archer versus, versus these three. But what did you think of, of the match itself, Sige? They didn't really do a great deal for me, this. I don't think I can remember anything about it, which is quite strange considering how close attention I pay. It was fun enough. Um, I don't think it was effective in getting anybody else further over or building intrigue and whatever the storyline is at this point. I was left wondering where Pac is. Mm. I can only hope that this bloody move mid-pandemic to America has a lot of accompanying admin that he needs to sort out for the odd taping because I miss Pac. Where's Pac? Seriously, where's Pac? Um, yeah, it was fine. It was fine. Um, Archer looks like he's got potential as a baby face because some of his explosion spots did like genuinely thrill me when he's like transposing this thing where he kills 
loads of people at once into a babyface comeback here. I thought, oh, there's potential in him doing that an awful lot more, but I only got glimpses of something that I really might like rather than something I really like. Yeah, that was my only takeaway. I thought Archer had tremendous babyface energy and fair play as well because uh, obviously this being taped and them knowing um, that Penta was out, we sort of questioned, this felt rushed. Why have they put this on a show that's already loaded full of stuff? And now you realise it's because you can set up a handicap match and a handicap match is a great way of illustrating that somebody can be a babyface or show that fire. And I thought that was the intention. I don't think it fully delivered on that intention, if I'm honest, but I can see why they constructed it in that way. Um, and maybe we're just butter and blade aren't the heels enough to get that Archer character over when he when he was spotlighted. I thought his moments were tremendous. Uh, we cut backstage. It's an easy character to turn. It's a really easy character to yeah. turn as well. Yeah. Uh, we cut backstage to Red Velvet getting the crap kicked out of her by uh, Jade Cargill and Nyla Rose, flanked by Vicky Grow. Nyla Rose sets up to hit her with a chair. Then in come Big Swollen Serena <laughs> D to make the save. Then Diamante and Eva Lise get involved as well. Officials break up this whole fight, and then we get uh, Abaddon versus is it Tesha Price? I think it was. It was some jobber, basically, um, who barely got any offense in. And if she did, it was completely no sold. Uh, STO from Abaddon, gory special neck breaker, squash, basically one, two, three. Post match, she continues to attack her Abaddon. Out comes Akarushida bravely with a kendo stick, twats, <laughs> twats Abaddon in the head, puts her down, and then of course, as they're leaving. Abaddon pops back up and they they leg her up the ramp. What do you think of these two segments, Hamlet? I still don't know. I can't make my mind up on this at all. I don't think Abaddon's squash was anywhere near as absorbing as the Anna J one. And obviously the presentations are very different. Um, but I, I didn't get quite as much, I don't know, hype about Abaddon this time around. Um, the kendo stick shot is just, obviously it has to be as wicked as it was because Abaddon's going to just get up from it. Um and maybe, maybe, and this is sounding generous as I'm even thinking about it, maybe that is what justifies Hikarashida being scared. Not things going bump in the locker room or somebody standing <laughs> near yeah. a belt, but standing up straight off a kendo stick between the eyes is something you could theoretically be a bit intimidated by. And it's not like they had a run into the back. She was helping Tesha Price. Um, I, I, I didn't love it. I didn't hear it. Yeah. Better than they've been doing what they've been doing is rubbish. <laughs> the two actual moments of, like, the, the squash was the squash. It was nondescript. The bump she took from the kendo stick was great, and the timing and the way she registered the pop-up and the timing of doing it was very good as well. Mm. Bare minimum stuff yet again. But it's who they're working with. I don't think Abaddon has worked really that many more matches than Anna Jay. Um, she has got a job on trying to make this match worthwhile, I think. Uh, backstage stuff with Chris Jericho uh, talking about the inner circle being back together and now accompanying MJF to the ring for his main event against Orange Cassidy and then we got Kenny Omega and Don Callis <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to claim that they both arrived in the same helicopter which is a clearly a two-man helicopter Kenny Omega gets out oh quick look over there oh look Don Callis is in the helicopter as well I don't know why that tickled me a little bit uh, anyway uh, they Tell Alex Marvez to piss off. They're coming to the ring, basically. We get the full cleaner from Kenny Omega, the full entrance. He's got extra broom girls. He's coming from the, the, the heel entrance. Um, and he's obviously flanked by Don Callis. Tony Schiavone says he's disgusted with what he witnessed on last week's Dynamite. Callis goes, everyone seems to be a bit upset about all this. Well, welcome to, uh, including Tony Khan. He says to, says to see Sweet TK, well, welcome to the welcome to the wrestling business, kid. Um, it, it, you know, a lot of this reflected what we saw on Impact Wrestling, but that's kind of understandable because not all of your audience will watch that. So as much as we've seen this before, I, I did appreciate that the fact that they did that for more casual AW Dynamite fans. Talks about the years of planning that went into this scheme. Um Talked about, you know, the, the the Tokyo Dome match, Omega and Jericho, that being the sort of birthplace of AEW, basically. Um, Kenny Omega gets the mic. He talks about begging Tony Khan to, to give all of his friends and family jobs and talks about how this is the perfect version of, of nepotism. Uh, he called his match a seven-star classic with John Moxley. Fine art. I, I don't know why, but I love the way he said the line, hook line and sinker 
uh, he talked about Moxie. He said, look, yeah, Moxie's the real deal, but don't get it twisted. It wasn't the microphone shot that put him down. It was the one-winged angel. No one kicks out of that. He's about to make this big announcement that's been teased, but Callis grabs the mic and says, nah, nah, nah. People aren't ready for that, but do the thing. Well, before he do that, he does the whole uh, people make memories, people make money, we make history, and he does the whole goodbye, and well, he's a bit nervous beforehand, but he does it. Goodbye and good night. Bang. All yours, Sige. I've seen it. <laughs> I saw an impact, which is a problem. But as you've pointed out, they almost kind of had to do it because these are the beats. These beats are important for the story. It adds heft to what they are trying to achieve, how exactly they were able to get one over on John Moxley, which I think was a crucial beat because his intelligence and strength needs to be protected at all costs. Kind of weird that he wasn't there. Yeah. Kind of weird that he wasn't there. I love him. So I don't want to think less of him, even though he's got, he'll have something to do with the creative process, but if he's not booked, he's not booked. He's got to do it. It's not a shoot. Because I'm generous. Because I like John Moxley so much. I would like to think he just went home as a man and licked his wounds, ready to come back. Very generous. Um, he's better on impact. Better on impact. I understand why they had to do it, I guess. Yeah. Ultimately, I just love the presentation of the character. So, Chopper. girls. Chop uh, two extra broom girls. Why the hell not? I'm a champ. Like, he just suits that goddamn belt like a glove. He radiates championship qualities because he's from Kenny Omega. Drip was phenomenal. And again, I just love so much how he dressed like a total schlub whenever he was teaming with Hangman Page. I, I told, to the point where people were actively like, oh, eh? <laughs> You're Kenny Omega? He used to wear like a leather jacket and aviators and. You used to wear your suits to the G1. What are you dressed like? And just like so much of Kenny Omega's work, particularly in AEW, you go, ah, all right, it's even more amazing than I thought. Um, by design, this could not be a home run. So it's weird that they designed it this way. But Callis is, I, I think I hate him a little bit. I think, I think he's a total in real life. Like that's how good a promo he is. And it, to be fair, it might be true. There's but... plenty of like locker room evidence from the past to suggest yes, it, wasn't absolutely. it? Like, um, I thought Omega's performance here was sublime. You know, I got everything I wanted and then some from his verbal delivery. Um, they, I think, right, I think this was ever so slightly, and not, this probably sounds a harsher phrase, I think this was a slight bait and switch. I think they allowed you on that impact promo to expect a little bit more than what we were given here. And again, yeah, why set that up? Like, I'd, I have no problem with them repeating most of the Impact stuff because I would like to know more about Dark on Dynamite than we get, for example. So use Dynamite to, like, bring a universe, like, tie all the little loose ends up and for somebody than me that engaged two hours a week to, to know that. Um, but, yeah, they kind of promised something. They didn't really give you anything. And I think that was that was my sense of emptiness at the end. Um do the thing is a really funny way to set up the good night bang as well. Go on, do the thing, do you think? Um, reducing it in that way to a gimmick. I also think they need to be a little bit careful. Um, Omega's you know a genius and he looks at his whole, he doesn't look at his character from storyline to storyline, he looks at it from year to year, from decade to decade, and it's one long story for Kenny Omega. And it asks you sometimes, you know, it puts in enough that you can watch it week to week on television or on in, you know, New Japan show to show. But he wants you to think about it as, a, as an entire career. This man is this way he is now because he's without his love, Kota Ibushi, just like he was the last time he was without his love and he joined Bullet Club. It's in his mind, this is just following Kenny Omega's CV. However, um, did this thing with Don Callis come together back in 2018? Grand plan, set up a company, win its belt. Or did it come together when he left the Young Bucks after All Out and said, I need to clean things up? They're kind of asking you to think it's both. And I, I don't, it's, it's fine. Like, it's that deadly game booking against Steve Austin, isn't it? You've got to do everything to stop the cleverest, smartest, hardest guy. Um, but yeah, like, maybe just be a little bit clearer on those details as well. But I get why they're doing that now. I get why they're saying all this now. Got to make it seem as grandiose as you possibly can. Main event time, MJF, Orange Cassidy for that beautiful diamond ring. And I'll just get the apology straight out of the way first. Uh, I'm sorry to my best friend. I will never doubt him again because uh, this match was 
was just great. A great end to Dynamite, in my opinion. I'll get through all my notes because I've, I've got so many bloody notes on this match because so much stuff happened from MJF starting off, jumping Cassidy straight away and snapping those sunglasses. Bollocks to that. Uh, Cassidy eventually uh, getting into the match, reversing a suplex into his uh, stunner. Cassidy goes for the orange punts on the outside. MJF dodges it. Cassidy punches the ring post. MJF spends the majority of this match then targeting the hand as a result of it. Uh, as I mentioned, the inner circle did say they were going to join MJF uh, along with Wardlow. Well, Wardlow's in the inner circle, you know what I mean? Uh, a ringside. Um, Cassidy gets sent to the outside and they all beat him up. So out comes uh, Top Fight, Brandon Cutler, Varsity Blondes. I believe there's a massive seven on seven TK tweeted about uh, next week, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm going to hate that. What's that? Uh, What's up? What's up? He's just tweeted that. I don't think it happens once TK to be a thing. Um, Mr. Cutler. <laughs> anyway, this is uh, Tony Khan, the leader of a real life dark order. There was a, some move I completely it's completely escaped me now, but MJF hits some move. I think it's some, some sort of power bomb on the outside and tucks Cassidy's hands into his uh, into his own jeans, the back pockets I think of his jeans, which I really enjoyed. Uh, in the end, uh, MJF catches Cassidy with a with a heat seeker as Cassidy's getting back into the ring. He even tries to use the ropes for leverage, but the best friends push his feet off. That makes everyone kick off another big brawl. And we get the Eddie Guerrero spot. The, the He gets the bat from Chris Jericho, goes to hit Orange Cassidy, realises he hasn't got time or the referee might see it or whatever. Hits the bat off the ground, throws the bat to Orange Cassidy. But it's Orange Cassidy. So, of course, he doesn't catch it. So, instead, Orange Cassidy picks the bat up, bangs it off the floor again, puts his hands in his... Well, throws the belt to MJF, puts his hands in his pockets flops of course official turns around at that point no no no, that's not the way we're going to finish all of this uh Cassidy hits a beach break for really I bought the near fall if I'm perfectly honest MJF goes salt of the earth goes to salt of the earth Cassidy fights out MJF snaps his fingers again really close near fall from an orange punch from Cassidy uh a second orange punch but Wardlow puts MJF's leg on the ropes, massive brawl again. This distracts the officials. Uh, and who should come out but Miro wearing quite the jumper? Uh, it comes out, he levels Orange Cassidy with a lariat. MJF crawls over one, two, three. Why did I ever doubt him? MJF retains or regains, I suppose, the beautiful diamond ring. Security comes out, and Miro finally looks like the monster I've wanted him to look like in AEW. He beats everyone up. He hoys people off the stage as people are going, it's nearly Christmas, you can't do this. Uh, and he poses, shouting, game over, as the show goes off the air. I love the ending to this show, Sige. I thought this is amazing. It's an end-to-end TV presentation. Now that we've gone through this show beat by beat by beat, I think the reason why I was so high on it is because... I was in such a good mood to start the show with that banger. And then I just thought the, the drama and the way it built and built and built and built and built and built throughout this main event, it was just bookended perfectly with a lot of uneven and misfires in the middle. Like I thought the actual wrestling between MJF and Orange Cassidy here was really, really nice and substantial for like a technically accomplished struggle. That like was one, MJF does that move where he'll get the arm of the guy and just throw them back first that middle turn but the way they engineered that spot like it felt like this real animosity there putting his hands in his pockets himself MJF doing that was such a total dick move what I loved about this is that it built and built and built to the point where it's the, the crux of the match the shift in momentum is that Trent and Chuck Taylor are looking across the ring and just thinking this what a complete group of dickheads over there we're not standing for this. Let's get some lads out. It was like an impromptu um, lumberjack match, as they phrased it. It obviously sets up that ridiculous main event next week, of which I have some concerns, given the last time the Inner Circle went in a big multi-man spot. But it just allowed for virtually every single second just bettered and was more dramatic and peaked higher than the preceding second. I just thought it was a wonderful, wonderful bit of dramatic TV. thought it was great. I like the way they approached this match a lot. Um, I've not been into Orange Cassidy very much of late and I was grateful for the like other distractions and the other ways you could use his character, the power, you know, we've all talked about the powerbomb. Um, it was the Lex Luger reference that Kenny May was on about just about Orange Cassidy because he's choked yet again. 
Like, I'm getting a bit sick of him not winning the big one. This doesn't feel Derby Allen. This feels like a guy that just can't get it done. Um, I'm happy enough that MJF won the ring, but I just, I don't know if Orange Cassidy was in hindsight the right guy to put in this spot because he loses quite a bit. He loses a big match quite a bit. And then, like, Miro's batting him, which is, like, we're getting this Miro-Orange Cassidy match. We're getting this goddamn best friend. However, the payoff's going to come. So then what? Like, does Orange Cassidy get the win over Miro? And then you kind of under potentially undercut some of this work they've done to try and get Miro over after a shoddy first few weeks. I'm not sure if Orange Cassidy was the right guy for this. Um, I just don't know what to think of him. I don't know if I should receive him as a champion-elect or always going to be the job at the stars. I don't know. Um, Miro's a funny one because I actually preferred his stuff in the Battle Royal to this. I thought a big ending, really liked the, like like I'm with you is there. I thought it made for a terrific ending to the show. It was a... That like, organic chaos in wrestling is hard to come by, and they summoned it here. It felt organic. It felt like Miro had like lost control a little bit, and he was gleefully taking out other people. Like I kind of wanted Kip Sabian to be the next one he took out. Yeah. You know, um, they're not there with him, but they've made two big leaps in the right direction in the last couple of weeks. That was one taping, wasn't it? The battle royal, and this was one taping. Yes, that's a that's a con- that's a concentrated night of trying to fix Miro. So I appreciate that. Do you like, yeah, the way Miro's been presented now, Sage? It's a stark improvement. Um, shows your body. <laughs> Shouldn't be wearing a jumper. I understand that, like, he's playing this kind of <laughs> poor game of 4D chess where he's wearing this really expensive stuff and people don't receive it as expensive. Dominic Mysterio's pink sweater. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even look like... It's the weirdest strip I've ever seen, right? Because it doesn't even look so horribly like bad taste, but has money. It just looks ugly and it conceals his biggest strength. If you had just ripped that guy, Dennis Reynolds popped that shirt off. Like, <laughs> of rage, it would have popped much better. It's a little bit uh, Sunday market, isn't it? That jump It is. It is. <laughs> Sports like that when in Norfolk back in 1995. Um, <laughs> But it didn't detract from what I generally thought was an awesome, just I couldn't take my eyes off it. There was so much going on. And yeah. again, you should put it over because with so much going on, there are so many challenges. There's so many different, 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 different escalating beats that if you flub one or two, the whole thing completely gets completely. Mm-hmm. The fact that they didn't do that, I think it's an achievement in itself, much less how well it was executed. Yeah, I think it's a, a, thing, a thing of mine. Whatever the last thing is on the show, that's how I feel. And I've just, that made me think, really enjoy this dynamite. And there was some some misses like you've, you've alluded to. But yeah, I just, that made me excited again for next week. And hopefully that's what it'll do for the casual fans who've maybe started watching because of Impact or Sting or, or Shaq. But we shall see. Uh, one last thing to do, of course. Uh, who won the Wednesday Night War for you, Michael Sidgwick? AEW Dynamite. And um, there's some all right stuff on NXT. But it was a bit too NXT for me. Hamlet. AW Dynamite. I thought it was a drab week. Um, I think NXT did some table setting, and that's fine. But their table setting's like pretty boring sometimes. And I didn't think this was particularly great dynamite. So it's with faint praise, but yeah, AW this week. Yeah, I think AW general consensus from everyone. I, I would have picked AW. The vote has gone for AW 70-30, in fact, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE if you want to get involved in this vote each week because I actually remembered to do it for once and I will remember going forward, I promise. Well, we'll try. Um, but yes, a uh, uh, clean sweep for AW Dynamite this week, quite rightly. Very intriguing to see what happens with the ratings when they come out later on. But do let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite and on NXT on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Will One. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. But this has been the Wednesday Night War Review of AEW Dynamite. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 